and welcome to this week's episode of the Stephen Perkins Podcast here on the Outset Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a subscriber to this and all of our other shows. If you're not, well, what a great opportunity to do it. It's a Saturday morning, unless you're listening at some other time, then this is awkward. Uh, This is the show, of course, where I speak to uh, up-and-coming young conservative leaders, whether that be leaders in media, in business, in politics, all of those fun and good areas. And this week I'm speaking to Andrew Wilford, who is an advocate with Young Voices, and he's also with the National Taxpayers Union. And Andrew is someone who spends his days thinking about how can we make capitalism and our American economy better, healthier, more efficient, um, and and honestly, more honest. So he talks a lot about uh, tax regulation, occupational licensing, crony capitalism, corporate welfare. And specifically, he has a piece out this week in The Federalist in which he talks about Amazon's new headquarters. And of course, you've likely heard by now the bidding process that's gone on and how all cities have been going crazy to get the new Amazon headquarters. Well, we first spent some time learning a little bit more about him as a person, his background, how he got interested in these types of policy research areas. And then we go in to talk about that article. Um, And basically, we end up talking about his vision for a healthier Uh, better American economy. One, where capitalism is actually working the way that it's supposed to work, not in a crony fashion. And so I really enjoyed this episode. I learned a lot. I think you're going to learn a lot too. So whip out that notepad and pen, get ready to take notes, but ultimately enjoy my interview with Andrew Wilford. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So you are an advocate for Young Voices um, and you have a, an amazing piece out uh, this week uh, about corporate welfare and the Amazon bidding process that's happening. And that, that piece is in The Federalist. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we do on this show, I want to start a little bit by learning about more about you um, and how you became interested in this topic, what your background education is, things like that. So let's mm-hmm. start from the very beginning. Um, how were you raised and what, what made you get interested in politics? Um, well, I, I really am not very typical in the sense that I knew what I wanted to do from, you know, maybe halfway through high school. I bet when I was a sophomore in high school, I knew I wanted to work in politics in some way. Uh, so I, I knew what college I wanted to go to. I went to American University, which is, you know, a pretty, uh, it's a DC political college, um, where everyone, everyone studies political science. Um, and, I knew what I wanted to do, and I, I was I was set there. My my parents say it's because I like to argue, but that's really not true. I, I actually really hate arguing. Um, but I have when things are worth arguing about, uh, I I'm willing to do that. So I I've had uh, very passionate opinions about about politics for a long time, but I I imagine that I have almost none of the same ones that I did when I when I first got into politics. So I, I, I would share that, and I would also say thank goodness for that. Yeah, um, the the evolution is is definitely a healthy thing. What I mean, what was it sophomore year around that time that sparked your interest? Was it an election? Was it a, an issue that you got experience in? Um, I I actually think it's because I liked history so much. Um, I I was a I still am a big history nerd, um, and I think that just kind of is a natural segue into politics, uh, which is, I guess, current history, you could say. Um, 
and I I just decided that politics was what I wanted to do. Um, it, it might have had something to do with the 08 election. That's possible. Um, in which I pushed my parents to vote for Barack Obama, but <laughs> again, <laughs> it's a different time in my life. We've yeah. been there. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> at American University, were you studying political science or was it something else? Yeah. Political, political science. science. Did you have, because I, I did political science too, and they had different specializations. Did you have a specialization that you focused in? I did not. Um, I graduated in three years and I wanted to be able to do that. So I didn't do a specialization, but I did minor in history. Minor in history. Cool. Yeah. Um, and were you involved in anything on campus in those three years? Yep. So college Republicans, uh, Young Americans for Liberty. In my senior year, I uh, interned for the Rand Paul campaign. I interned on his uh, in his D.C. headquarters. So that was fun. Many listeners will enjoy that. Um, <laughs> so specifically policy research. I think that's an area that a lot of people, no matter how much they like politics, mm -hmm. they steer away from it because it is it is, you know, the, the stereotype of a policy wonk, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's definitely more intense, interesting, but definitely more intense. What made you become interested in the research or in, in, in policy specifically? Um, I am a policy wonk. I, I fully admit that. Uh, and I, I guess when I have an issue that I'm passionate about, I'm willing to get into the weeds. I still, I find that enjoyable. Um, I recognize that for most people that won't be the case. And, you know, when I, when I tell people that I work in tax policy and I, I research it, I imagine to most people that sounds like the most boring thing in the world. But, but really when you, when you get into it, it's, it's quite a fascinating topic and, I think it's it's much more interesting when you get into it than when you look at it from the 30,000 foot view. How did you make your way to becoming an advocate at Young Voices? I think really that uh, honestly, I don't remember exactly who re who recommended it to me. But uh, I, I think really I was just looking for an opportunity to write uh, about things I cared about and, you know, get published, which is it, it, it's very intimidating when you're, you know, a younger person to try to pitch something to a publication. It feels like, you know, it feels like you have to have a ton of almost arrogance to do that with all the qualified people, you know, you're a 20 something and you're going to pitch something to a, a publication. But, um, you know, Young Voices helps you to it, originally it gives you that that sort of um, qualification, I guess, uh, the, an organization to, to put your name in front of. Uh, but beyond that, it, it helps you realize that really it's not that hard to get published. Um, if, if as long as you're knowledgeable about something, you can get published and, uh, young voices helps, helps a lot with that. And, uh, that was just something I was recommended to, to join. And I guess that was about a year ago and feels a lot longer than that, but, uh, <laughs> so about a year yeah. there, did you, were you always writing about the kind of tax policies, your main area or is that right? Um, yeah, I, I would actually call my my main area cronyism, and I write about different different areas of cronyism. So it used to be energy, and then I moved more towards trade, and now I do, do sort of trade and tax policy along with some regulatory policy and uh, you know uh, Uber and Lyft and uh, licensing um, things like occupational licensing things like that, uh, but. But yeah, I, I definitely have shifted my my window of what I write about somewhat, but 
you know, there's still that overwhel- overlapping cronyism, uh, you know, maybe, sphere. Maybe it's just the people that I follow on Twitter. Maybe some selective bias there. But I, I, <laughs> I see the issues of regulations and licensing and basically what, what you study and research and write about coming up quite a lot. Does it... For for someone who doesn't have the background on it, does that seem like an area that is getting increased interest? Yeah, I, I think definitely. I think uh, occupational licensing in particular has exploded recently. Um, but I, I think regulation also. Um, and uh, I, I think trade sort of has as a result of the, the recent election cycle. There have been more people who've sort of been pushing back against uh, protectionist impulses that a lot of people have. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's definitely a, a growth industry as far as, uh, <laughs> as far as writing about things goes. So let's talk a bit about corporate welfare, cronyism, um, everybody's favorite topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your, your piece for The Federalist um, this published this past week talks about the Amazon search for a second headquarters. Um, Mm -hmm. This is something that I I think most people have have heard about, Um, especially if you live in a big city, your local government is probably trying to get them to your area in some way. Probably. Uh, I, uh, I'm moving, I'm moving at the, uh, in January to Kansas city. And there was a, um, (laughs) there there was a, uh, Oh, what was the, a clickle article recently saying that the Kansas city mayor and the Pittsburgh mayor were just fighting to the death and while Jeff Bezos <laughs> watched on. Um, so I see a lot of that cause I'm now following that local news, but also here in Dallas, uh, where I am currently Dallas pitched a bid Frisco Plano, like all these different suburbs mm-hmm. have their own versions of it. And now I, I think you write your piece over 200 different bids, um, have gone in. 238 238 with with what i would imagine is a lot more cities who wanted to bid but for some reason didn't end up getting it in um let's first talk about the their the the specifics that they asked about um so when they opened it up for bids from cities they had a very specific list of requirements that they wanted one of which was basically no weather is what it (laughs) seemed like um can you go down quickly what some of those things were because my big question is if they have these specific guidelines why were so many cities pitching uh for the new headquarters to be there um well i I actually don't have the the list in front of me but i know that they wanted a large metropolitan area which was you know almost prohibitively prohibitively large which is what makes it so surprising that 238 cities bid since there wasn't anywhere close to 238 cities that fit the requirements um, you know, as to why all these cities put in bids when they very clearly didn't meet the requirements, I, I think it's essentially the same reason that, you know, you kept writing the same thing on your Christmas list every year, even though you knew you'd never get it. Um, because why not, right? They might as well put in a, a bid. I mean, Amazon was offering 50,000 jobs in, uh, for average compensation of over $100,000, as well as, you know, pushing the economic investment they would put in the area. So, I mean, that alone is enough to make any mayor's, you know, eyes turn into dollar signs and think, start thinking of themselves as the next big tech hub. Um, so, you know, it's hard, it's hard not to, to have that immediate reaction. So why not submit a bid, you know? And you wrote that most mayors were doing this, not necessarily 
for the benefit of, I mean, obviously these are jobs coming to their cities, but they, they saw this as an opportunity um, to increase their own political profile, to secure reelection, things of that nature. City councils were very much so on board with them. Um, what seems like to me, it's, it's been just this huge outpouring of, of cities kind of begging, almost begging this, this major company when in these same cities were probably a lot of small, medium-sized businesses that could probably use some assistance from the local, uh, from local infrastructure. Um, but you, so you write about that in your piece. Why do you think that, I mean, obviously increasing political profile, but one thing you mentioned is that um, there's a disconnect between people who believe that government and large companies work together in a way that hurts America and also a, a majority of people who think that cities offering these incentives to Amazon is a good thing. Yeah. So, well, I, I do want to make clear that I, I think that when, you know, mayors start thinking of the the potential for their political career, I don't, I don't think that's the main focus. I think that that's, that's something that goes on in the back of their heads, but I, I don't think they're just doing it for the, the purposes of their career. I, I do think they genuinely believe that, uh, you know, this will be good for the the uh, their city or um, you know their locality. Um, I, I think that there's a tendency to. You mentioned the disconnect. I I think the reason why there is that disconnect is that the word crony capitalism is fantastic branding for getting people on board with you know opposing crony capitalism, but it's terrible branding for having people actually understand it. You know, I I think. That when people think crony capitalism, they think political leader and business leader get into a back room, you know, cackle evilly and draw out some plan to take over the the city. I I think most often that that happens. Don't get me wrong, that does happen. But most often it's much less private and it's it's much more innocuous seeming. Um, It'll be things like and the Amazon bid is a perfect example. I mean, it's not like Amazon colluded with 238 mayors to come up with some evil proposal. It's things, uh, the the real definition of cronyism is where politicians and business leaders do something that benefits just those two parties, but not the economy as a whole. And that's really, that's really what this is. But people don't, People don't make that connection because they're thinking of cronyism as just this sort of nefarious action between two um, hyper selfish organizations or individuals. So there's not always a negative intention behind it. You're saying right. that uh, it's it's often and it's done in the the open. It's not always backroom deals. And with the case of Amazon, I I, I mean I think it's fair to say Amazon was was very. They want another headquarters location. They're accepting bids for it. Nothing inherently mm-hmm. wrong with that. Um, there were some things that Amazon asked uh, of for cities. One of those was tax breaks or, or, or tax uh, exemptions. Yeah. Can you go into detail about some of those requirements, requests, demands? Yeah. So they asked for, well, I think they the exact quote was something like they recognized that it may require special incentive legislation, which essentially means when a city will pass a special tax break that only goes to Amazon. Um, these are 
very much distinct from normal tax breaks. And I think a lot of times people who are anti-tax get tripped up a bit here because um, they think, oh, you know, taxes are lower. That's good. But it's not good when it's not across the board because Amazon is is coming in and they're being taxed at a much lower, quite possibly zero rate for, you know, a number of years. And they're competing against businesses that are established there that aren't being given this preferential tax treatment. So it's very hard for these these local businesses to compete on a level playing field when Amazon is being shown, you know, essentially favored by the government. It, you know, the government has the thumb on its thumb on the scale when it does things like this. And it's it's not just bad for those businesses, it's bad for the economy as a whole because consumers are essentially losing out on that competition because the government has already decided who won the competition. Um what other uh, what are some other potential challenges ways that local companies get hurt by deals like this well i mean one is just they essentially they or the local uh, the, the citizens of that locality end up having to pay higher tax rates right like it it's not like that that reduced tax rate on amazon comes free it's got to be made up by somebody so you know, it, it, much less than a, a subsidy, which you can you can see as a amount of money going to a company. It it seems different when it's a tax break, um, but the result is the same. It cuts into or it uh, increases the deficit or it uh, decreases budget reserves, and the result is somebody's going to have to pay for it. Um, so most often that ends up being other businesses, or that ends up being uh, you know local individuals. So that's that's also bad for for competition as well as, you know, just bad for everyone else. Yeah, I think people don't often think about the if if you're giving these tax breaks or these different exemptions, increasing the tax burden, even hurting uh, a a local city's own budget. So those are really important distinctions as well. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Let's let's play fun game with this Um, of all the different public proposals that you've seen for the new headquarters, um, what are, what are some of the most cringeworthy ones that you've experienced? Because I've seen quite a few, like funny, but also kind of sad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there was the I believe it was three separate cities that each made a video that ended with some version of you know, Alexa, what what city should what should Amazon relocate to? And it was always the name of the city. Um, Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's I was my just Alexa. about to say you're about to go off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think you mentioned Kansas City. Um, Kansas City's mayor bought a thousand Amazon products and left five star reviews on all of them, uh, which is just an odd way of of uh, doing that. And then um, a lot of people were asking, where where did uh, where did the money for all those products come from? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope it came out of his wallet, but I doubt it. Um, Stonecrest, Georgia, offered to rename itself Amazon, Georgia. Um, <laughs> I have not heard of that one. That's that's interesting. To be fair, I mean, Stonecrest, Georgia, it's a bit of a long shot bid, so you got to do something. Um, Calgary sort of did that as well. I mean, they they made a they had a whole ad campaign where one of the things was they, they offered to wrestle a bear or something. So that might not have been a serious offer, but uh Certainly strange to say at all, uh, but my by far my favorite one was 
Tucson, Arizona, sent Amazon a cactus that Amazon turned down because Amazon said that they don't accept gifts. Um, I, I think that was my favorite, my favorite response. Um, I tweeted and asked them if that meant that they wouldn't be accepting any uh, special incentive legislation, but sadly, Amazon didn't reply. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine Tucson felt kind of awkward about that as well. Um, well, your piece mainly focused on Amazon, but you know, I, I see this as one of those things, corporate welfare out in the public, as we said, it's not always this backroom deal. What are some other examples of um, of this public corporate, corporate welfare or cronyism that we see that we may not necessarily recognize as such? I would say the big one is tariffs. Um, I, I think most often tariffs are put in place and defended as a means of protecting a local business that is facing some sort of quote-unquote unfair competition. Um, and that's often seen as acceptable for that reason. Uh, but it's often very blatant cronyism. I, I wrote about recently um, Boeing uh, managed to convince the Department of Commerce to slap a tariff on its, uh, on its Canadian rival, uh, Bombardier, even though Boeing because they they alleged that Bombardier was receiving you know unfair loans uh, that were that were helping it you know and allowing it to compete unfairly. Um, the irony is that the the loan provider that Boeing was so upset about is the pretty much Canada's equivalent or Quebec's equivalent of our XM Bank, which is of I think forty percent of the loans they issue go to Boeing. So it's an utterly specious bit or uh, claim, but you know Boeing was able to succeed, and it managed to put tariffs on Bombardier uh, because of this, you know, this impulse to protect local business. And often that isn't seen as being cronyism, but I mean I can't imagine that a, you know, Japanese uh, air, airline maker would would be able to succeed with a claim like that. Uh, a tariff claim like that. So I, I think often we think of tariffs about as restoring competition, but most often they're exactly the opposite. And I think the big thing with this is um, with all the attacks that come at capitalism as a as a uh, as a system. Um, the the big message for me has always been the reason why cronyism matters. The reason why it is something that we need to to seriously fight is because it tarnishes the overall idea of capitalism and it, tar it tarnishes the free market component where in this country and many capitalist countries, it's this idea that we're a free market society. Well, we'll really, when you look at it, there's a lot of things that, um, that we do to go against that. So, um, mm -hmm. so I, I think that that's the big component of whether it's Amazon, whether it's, it's tariffs, whether it's anything in that realm it's really a threat to capitalism as a system. Right. I mean, I, I think it's not just tarnishing the view of it. I think it's also tarnishing the, the effectiveness of the system. I mean, whenever people ask me what the biggest economic issue the country faces today is, I, I always say crony capitalism. And, you know, sometimes people will say, well, how is it not income inequality or something like that? And I think income inequality is a symptom, not, not, a, not the cause. The cause is crony capitalism. Um, and you look at all the ways that regulation shuts down compete or smaller competing businesses. Um, when you look at uh, lic occupational licensing restrictions that uh, keep some people 
protected in an industry while not allowing other people to join into them. Um, you know, when you look at tariffs that favor some businesses over others, all these things, they contribute to a system in which the more powerful and the more well-connected businesses or people end up with the power and by virtue of that, the money. So, um, you know, th this is the real thing that's keeping us from a truly competitive system that is for the benefit of the consumer. And, um, you know, it's, it's replacing it with a sort of corporatism. And, you know, like you said, that's, that's not capitalism. Hurts the little guy at the end. Yeah. Um, I, I have a couple of questions just to close this out. Um, one is, is largely related to this. If, if, if you had in, in an ideal world, uh, what, what is your vision of, uh, of a healthier American capitalist society? I, I think that, I mean, that's, that's a big question, yes, but, uh, I, I think that, you know, the main thing is it, it's not, it, it's a more engaged American populace. I, I think that's the real thing that needs to, to happen. Um, you know, not, not constantly watching out for or constantly doing original research to find what is or isn't cronyism, but you know, we have to we have to push back against things that are widely seen as being cronyism um, or as being acceptable when they are cronyism. And you know, I like I said, I, I don't think these mayors who are putting in these these proposals are doing it because they want to hurt their their local businesses. I think they're doing it because they think it brings jobs. So, you know, that's that's part of it. Part of it is is you know, educating these people who will go on to be the mayors of their city. You know, there were a couple mayors that that very publicly stated that they would not be uh, providing any incentive legislation. Um, and you know, we need more of those mayors and we need more of those people in the Department of Commerce. We need more of those people on local licensing boards. Um, the first, the first role of, of uh, the first principle of government should be first of all, do no harm. And you know, I, I think right now that's not happening because uh, the concern is um, regulating to an extent that oversteps the 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 goal or the stated policy uh, or the stated goal of the organization or the um, providing tax breaks beyond just, hey, we want to encourage businesses to come here. So we're going to lower taxes, you know, across the board. That's that's what that's what should happen. Um, and that's an effective way to bring business to your to your your area, Re lowering regulation for a better business environment. Another effective way. Um, you know, I, I think the, the one way you can see that most often these economic incentives aren't actually bringing in any any new business activity is they're often temporary and businesses think in the long term. So you're going to, you know, essentially they're seeing it as you're giving me some money. Great. But how's your regulatory environment? How's your how's your tax, your tax system? You know, some things that Amazon mentioned that aren't totally unrelated to that. How's your you know, the size of your metropolitan area? Uh, you know, do you have a well-trained workforce? The, these are the things that really decide whether or not a business is going to locate there. So I, I think there's a study or studies have found that, you know, something like nine out of 10 jobs that are brought in through economic incentives would have gone there anyway. Um, because, you know, 
it, it looks like the the money's bringing those jobs in, but really you're just paying them for something they'd be doing anyway. Uh, so more awareness of that is really, I, I think we need to spread that among not just mayors, but also citizens to hold hold elected officials accountable for this sort of activity um, so that it's not politically profitable to do so. I think we're just going to strip that out and send that out to mayors <laughs> so they can hear that. No, but you bring up two important points, two themes that we have on this show all the time. Number one, you have to be engaged and you have to inform yourself on these issues. And number two, uh, engagement should at some times uh, be advanced to the level of getting involved in a local government, uh, whether that's running or just showing up um, mm-hmm. and, and, and being a part of those decisions that are happening within your city because it's so vital. I think... Um, it was some Texas governor, I think San Antonio or Austin was one of the governors who's, or one of the mayors, sorry, who said, um, we're not going to give special incentives. Uh, San Antonio. They, San Antonio. Yep. Yeah. They'll come here because, uh, we have, we have a good city or, or they won't. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's a really important distinction. If people wanted to find out more, another thing I like to do is ask for book recommendations. <laughs> um, and so I, I know there's probably a lot, um, and it do, they don't have to be just about these issues, but what are some books that you would recommend to people um, who want to inform themselves a bit more uh, or, or just some of your favorites? Um, I, I mean, I'm going to be a, a typical classical liberal here and say anything by Milton Friedman, uh, anything by Hayek. Uh, I, I think I, I tend to do... I, I like to inform my ideology through books by some of these, you know, important thought leaders behind uh, free market economics. And then um, in terms of reading I, or in terms of article reading, I think there's always great stuff on reason. Um, check out the National Taxpayers Union uh, if you want to uh, learn more about some of these tax issues. Um, I, I actually like to read. There, there are some good uh, some good outlets on the left also that will be good on uh, cronyism issues, um, which kind of makes sense because they'll they'll sometimes see it as you know this is big business uh, you know thing, things like that. But in, in a way, they're kind of right on this issue. So um, I, I think often uh, you know Vox uh, actually will will be very good on this issue um, sometimes even New York Times so you know this is this is one of these issues that in in a way kind of transcends the political spectrum um, so it's it, it is a good way to engage with some uh, some some arguments on the left because they there there are plenty of uh, arguments from the left that come against or that uh, take on this issue so it's it's a great great issue for uh, collaboration with people on the other side, which you know there's not many opportunities for that anymore. So it's great to take it when you can. <laughs> yes, I like to hear about that. I you know my my go to has always been criminal justice reform. That's what we yeah, can work right. across the aisle on, <laughs> and now it's uh, crony capitalism. I love it. Um, and you heard it here first. A good source is the failing New York Times. So that's that's that's, that's awesome. Um, speaking of of news, what is your media consumption diet? How, how do you cut through the noise of all the news that happens out there? Um, where do you get your news? Things like that. Um, I think that the only the only real way to cut through the noise is just to spread out as much as possible. Um, I, I mean, I read. My my media consumption diet would probably 
look like a pretty typical East Coast liberal. Um, I read New York Times, The Atlantic. Uh, I listen to NPR. I mean, I'm, but I, I also I also read uh, National Review is is generally very good, um, especially on their economic commentary. Um, I, I do read some more, even further left outlets like like I said, Vox, Slate. Um, but I, I think that's always good to engage with, uh, you know, an intellectual argument on the other side um, because it strengthens your own viewpoints. So that's that's the main reason why I read outlets like that. If I wanted to read what I'd already what I already thought, I'd just read myself. So, um, but the, those are very good outlets. Um, if you want something with a more libertarian bent, like I said, Reason is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously Wall Street Journal. So yeah, th- that's that's pretty much my my media diet. I I take a little bit from everything, but um, I definitely try to diversify. That that helps me keep from getting too far into a bubble which isn't hard in dc i suppose but <laughs> very true i thought you were gonna say that the best place to get news is on twitter because that's when you know the quality oh, I mean, filters are great <laughs> that's that's actually very helpful for getting up-to-date information yeah. um i i mean as long as you're following the right people <laughs> is what i would say so help them follow someone of quality what how, how can people find you online um, I am on Twitter at Policy Wilford, and Wilford is spelled W-I-L-F-O-R-D. Awesome. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on. I want to thank Andrew one more time for coming on the show, and I want to thank all of you for listening to this show. There's so many things you could be doing with your ears and your time and your attention, uh, but you've chosen to lend all of those things to me and my guest, and I appreciate it. Uh, And this is a very weird outro, but you can find all of our other podcasts at Outset by going to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast. You can follow me at Twitter and Instagram at Stephen underscore Perkins, facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins, or find Outset Network on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Make sure to check out all of our other shows. Until we speak again in our next episode, God bless. Take care.